At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 406th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who manages an urban farm for families in poverty. We're talking with Nika Forte about farming for the underserved. Nika is the urban farm manager for St. Vincent de Paul in Phoenix, Arizona, where she creates programming and community engagement events. Her job also includes managing community members who volunteer time at the urban farm. They grow, process, and distribute freshly grown vegetables to the homeless community and needy families that they provide services for. Her role in the program is to improve food access and food security in underserved communities. Welcome to the show today, Nika. Are you ready to rock your urban farm? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. So I started out in corporate. I was laid off in 2008, which was around the time of like the financial collapse. And I was home for a while. Mm -hmm. And I decided to go back to school and try and do something that was like meaningful that I could use my skills to actually help people. Because even though I did love working in a corporate setting, it was very personal and very stressful. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to do something that was more engaging and where I felt like I had a purpose. It wasn't supporting your heart in the world. No, it absolutely was not. (laughs) It was all about the bottom line and money, money and money. That was it profit. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I was doing something that was more people instead of profit. So what move did you make to support you in that? I decided to go back to school. So I had been kind of obsessed with this woman who does life coaching and I'm the oldest of five girls. And so I've kind of always been like that support system for my family, my friends. So through watching this young woman on TV, I really like loved what she did and I wanted to do something like her. So she was a life coach and I found a school that provided that programming where I can get an associates in psychology and be a life coach and through this school they also had an urban farming program and nutrition program so I decided to add that once I really got into the urban farming program I totally forgot about wanting to be a life coach and was just so engaged with putting my hands in the dirt and 
seeing the fruits of my labor and being able to eat what I grow. That's kind of how I got into it. And I had to do this externship work and ended up where I am now. So what was that like, the integrating from a trade school that's teaching you urban farming into doing it for real, like in real life? The educational piece was great. I mean, please do not get me wrong. I really loved the program. I loved the instructors, the students that were in the class with us. We all kind of grew together. But there's nothing like actually being hands-on and actually seeing it grow and actually engaging the community and seeing what you grow go from in the dirt straight to someone's plate. There's no better feeling than that. Oh, I know. So you interact with the underserved community quite a lot. Yes. What's that process of interfacing with them like? When I was young, I was a young mother and I lived in the housing projects. Very low income community. There's really no access to like fresh, nutritious food. So when I got to the space where I was, I felt like I could relate to the families that I was serving because that was me. That was me and my kids. That was me trying to find healthy options for them. So working with the needy families and the homeless community, my main thing was to just find points where we could relate to each other, common ground with each other, and then kind of go at it in a way where it didn't feel like I was judging them, but actually understanding them and really caring about the situations they were in and how I could help. For a lot of our listeners, I suspect that going without a meal on a particular day because you can't afford it is foreign to them. But I suspect for the underserved and maybe even for you in your previous iterations of your life, that was something that happened? Absolutely. Yes. Tell me about that. What was that like? As a young single mother, I'm really trying to like get my education because I was also trying to go to school and then work a part-time job and the money for daycare and stuff like that was really taking most of my money. So a lot of times when I did have money because I wanted to make healthy choices, that's hard when the food that's not necessarily food, but food byproducts is so cheap. It's readily available, Mm -hmm. but suffering to make that choice about should I buy my kids these ramen noodles even though I know that it is the least healthiest thing in the world or do I really try and put together money and figure out how to to feed them and some days I wouldn't eat to make sure that they ate wow going without a meal is not something I think any of us you know, do on purpose, unless it's like for religious purposes and fasting and health issues. But for the most part, nobody wants to go a day without a meal. And not knowing where your next meal comes from is such an added stress on your life. Not knowing how you're going to get your kids that healthy meal that you know that they deserve, that they need to help them in this growing stage. And you need in order to go out into the world and provide for them. And not having access for that is very tough. Well, as a mom, that had to be really hard. How did that make you feel? I felt... Like, I wasn't the best parent for my children at the time. You know, sometimes you just question, like, well, am I really doing everything that these kids deserve? Because you want to give your kids 
everything in the world. You want them to have access to the best education, the best neighborhoods, the best food, you know, everything. And when you can't provide that for them, you feel inadequate, you feel unworthy, you feel like a failure, you feel like, you know, you just aren't being the best parent for them that you can, but you still try and push through that and make sure you do the best you can with what you have. Right. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Nobody should have to go through that. I'm really not mad. I went through that because I needed to. Mm -hmm. It makes me appreciate where I am now. It makes me understand the people that I serve and work with now. Yeah. I had to go through that so that I better understand the community that I serve and so that I never take for granted a meal that I just had. Mm -hmm. I went into my kitchen. I can make me scrambled eggs and, you know, French toast and yogurt and granola. And some people don't have access to it. And I'm grateful for that because of what I went through before. Yeah. So access to food is so important and that motivates me into doing everything that I do today. Wow. That's a really healthy attitude. Good for you. Thank you. So one of the things that you mentioned a moment ago was something called a food byproduct. Tell me about that. What is that? Food is what we grow out of the ground. You know, food is what nature provides us. Byproducts are like macaroni and cheese with the powder. That's not real food. It's a bunch of stuff mixed together to make a meal that you can eat. That's not necessarily food. Mm -hmm. Food is supposed to feed you and nourish your body, nourish your mind, your spirit, all of that. You know, because without nutritious food, our body doesn't function like it's supposed to. We can't get past depression and things if we don't have food that's nutritious, that's feeding our body in a way that functions so we can handle all the stresses of every day. I consider ramen noodles just a food byproduct. It's just something that we put together and we make that you can consume, but it's not necessarily food. Yeah. I used to give an assignment when I taught at Arizona State University and a couple other schools here in the Valley. I used to give an assignment to students that they had to go discuss for themselves what real food is. Mm-hmm. And you've done a really good job of distinguishing that for us that, you know, real food is what we grow out of the ground ourselves. It's what nature provides us. That's what we're supposed to be consuming. I do a junior master gardener class. And when I had the kids do label reading, oh, you should have seen how shocked they were. Like, that's not real food. So we know that this is not real food. Look at the ingredients on this pack of noodles and tell me what's food. Is it that or is it that fruit cup? Or is it that apple that we picked off the tree based on the ingredients? If it has to have stuff added to it, then it's not necessarily food. Right. Well, and most of that stuff added is chemicals, right? Yes, absolutely. Drives me crazy. Once you are aware, it's like hard for it not to drive you crazy. Yeah, exactly. So you run a farm for St. Vincent de Paul. Tell us if we were standing at the entrance to the farm, how big is it? What would we see? So let's see, our farm right now is about an acre and a half. We do have half of our lot that is being utilized by a construction company. But when you first would walk in, you would see pathways that would lead to these big blue brick planter boxes. Before, we did not have pathways. We didn't necessarily have wheelchair accessible planter beds. Now you'll see more of that. 
you'll look and you'll see trees. You'll see a huge chicken coop to your left with all of our baby chicks in there. Wow. You will see rows of watermelon, some leftover cucumber, eggplants, a lot of collard greens and spinach and things like that that are starting to grow right now. And you'll see some scarecrows and mini storage units where we keep all of our supplies. But it's a very welcoming and very aesthetically pleasing place to be. Nice. And this is at what we call here in Phoenix, the Human Services Campus. Tell us about that. So the Human Services Campus, amazing, is a place where different organizations come together to service the homeless community. Our campus is strictly meant to help those who are homeless get the things that they need to get back into the workforce, get back into their own space of living. We provide them with dental services. There's a medical clinic there. There are AA and NA meetings on that campus. It's rapid rehousing. There's veteran services. There's meals. There's so much that we provide at that campus. So when they come in, they would go to our welcome center where we would ask them a bunch of questions to see how we can best serve them because no one knows more than them what they may need in that moment. We kind of just sit down and talk to them and ask them what their needs are and then we send them out to the different locations to get services. So if someone says, my problem is I have no job and maybe I can't find my birth certificate or my social security card, we could send them to St. Joseph the Worker, which helps them get that together, get together their information and also helps them get together resumes, bus passes, clothes they need for job interviews or for work and they help them find jobs out in the community. There's a wide range of things that we do there on that campus but most importantly it's serving those homeless community members in Phoenix. And I think one of the most important thing that happens there is connecting people back to where their food comes from and then raising food for them to be able to nourish. Well, I didn't want to selfishly say like that's the most important thing we do on campus because there's amazing things we do on campus, but that is a very important thing that we do there. At our location is we work with them. We try to get them back into the workforce. If they come in, they work with us for so long, we'll write reference letters for them to get jobs. You know, we'll try and find them a place where we can get them employed, whether that's at, you know, a local big box store that we go to to buy supplies or a nursery that we go to to buy supplies. Like we try to connect them with the places that we usually go to because we know their skills in urban farming or in seed starting because we've worked with them. So we try to connect them with those type of jobs, but we also do want to connect them back with the earth and with their food and, you know, they appreciate it and they know that we've put in time to grow the food there that goes right into the kitchen that they eat every day. Yeah. So I want you to think about your time working at the urban farm. And is there one instance, one thing that happened that just moved you with somebody? Yes, absolutely. So when I first started at St. Vincent de Paul, I had a gentleman and his name was Jeff. And he lived on campus there at Cass, because we had the shelter there. And he would come over and he would work with me every day. And we became really good friends. I was invested in him and he was very much invested in me too and knowing how I was doing and if I was good and if there was anything that I needed. And we really built a bond together. And he's a 60, 70 year old man who was in the Marine Corps. For the longest, I thought, okay, you know, yeah, we're friends and, you know, we do this work together. But he told me that 
I provided a place of peace for him. He felt safe there. He felt safe within those gates of the farm, even though there's so much going on around that area that our space, the urban farm, was a place of respite for him. He could come there. He could relax. He could de-stress. He could help put his hands in the dirt and he found purpose. And that really made me feel like what I do here is so important. Of course, I thought, oh, I'm just helping them get job skills and, you know, stuff to, to get them to be productive. It didn't click with me until that moment that I really was providing a place of peace for them. You know, a place where they felt safe and that just, you know, motivated me even more to keep doing what I'm doing and to engage as many more people as I could that were experiencing homeless on campus because there is a lot that they go through living out in the streets. And if we can provide a safe, calming space for them, yeah, then, you know, I'm doing my job. Wow, that must have really had you feel at peace, like you were doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing. Yes, even considering that I would do little activities with him, like goal setting and things like that. Jeff was one of my most consistent and reliable volunteers. We really did bond. And even though he does not live on our campus anymore, he has been placed in his own house. He lives down the street from me, so we still see each other and <laughs> running to each other at the grocery store or the Walmart you know like we still run into each other so even though he's out and he's working now and he has his own place like we're still connected to each other I think we'll always still be connected to each other so like no matter what happens we've built a long-lasting friendship and I absolutely love him and want nothing but the best for him so I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it so when I first started out farming and I had graduated school, I really thought, I'm going to kill it. I'm just going to put a bunch of plants in the ground and I'm going to take off running because St. Vincent had just given me this new farm to run. And the first two weeks, I think I killed like a hundred plants. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I was so anxious to just like do it that I really didn't take the time to evaluate the space like I should mm -hmm. and really delve into what the best, best places were to plant things. And I killed a ridiculous amount of plants, but I learned so much from killing those plants. Oh, yeah. But I don't kill any plants now. In permaculture, I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. The first premise of permaculture is observation. Yes. Get out and observe what's going on around your space and, you know, figure out which is the best place to plant your garden. Where did you find your best place to plant a garden then? How we did the roses, we ended up doing it to where the shade kind of follows it a little bit. So we used basically the trees to shade our tomatoes and stuff like that. And so that saved those. We put our peppers and stuff in the areas that got the most sunlight. Mm -hmm. I had to rethink my whole space. And if I hadn't killed those plants, I don't think I'd be as good an urban farmer as I am today. You know, it's amazing how that works, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, ultimately, that's really why I asked this question is for us to be able to look back and build on those successful failures and let everybody out there know that it's okay to kill plants. Now don't do it on purpose, but it's okay to have that stuff happen. You know, you're still a urban farmer. Go. Absolutely. As long as you fell forward, you know, like it was a failure, but I fell forward. I learned something from it. I took that experience and I made my space better. I don't think that I would have really had got as involved in my space and really paid attention to it as much as I did if I hadn't done that. So 
Right. It was a lesson. Yay. So what do you consider your biggest success? One of my biggest successes would be really involving communities that maybe hadn't really thought about gardening or farming, providing a space where the homeless community that we serve can come out and find a place of peace and a place for them to really give back to the earth when they have so much going on. I think that's one of my biggest successes is really just sitting back and providing a place for people to learn and to give back to nature. Nice. And what drives you? So what drives me... I say is I've experienced living in an area that was a food desert. Mm-hmm. I, at one point in time, lived in the projects. I was a single mother. I didn't eat the healthiest. I did have some medical issues at one point. And when I changed my diet, I changed that whole road that I was on to unhealthy life, you know, shortening my lifespan. And what motivates me is knowing that I can change my life and that I can help other people change theirs too. Yeah, It's never too late to just take time to rethink the way that you feed your body and how you approach food and being able to help those families that don't have the money to go out and buy the healthiest food, but know that if they buy a pack of seeds, that that's going to feed them for a long time. And it's cheaper than the grocery store. So being able to motivate at-risk populations and vulnerable populations, I think is what motivates me the most and seeing their faces when they've grown something and they actually get a chance to eat it as part of their meal. So yeah, that's what motivates me. When you're instructing people, how do you instruct them so they don't grow a $400 tomato? Because you made a comment a moment ago that it's cheaper than the grocery store. Well, it can be if you do it right. So what tips do you have for people to make sure that they don't spend a fortune on getting the garden going? I always tell them to start small, get to know your community gardeners and your farmers, because those are resources for you. They will help you in getting all the things that you need to get it started and it could cost you less like so yeah a packet of seeds costs a dollar and that can produce you know 20 pounds of tomatoes for you but if you're not investing your time and you don't have patience and it is going to cost you a lot of money Mm -hmm. but if you really start small and you try and do it in a way where you're working with nature it's cheaper that way you don't have to go all out you don't have to go and buy these extravagant units for you to grow food you can just really you know put some dirt in the ground maintain it pay attention to it and really grow yourself some food and it doesn't cost you a lot of money nice how do you prep your soil because i know here in the desert you know we have less than one percent organic matter and it's you know it's really dense and highly compacted what do you do when you're starting a new bed to get the soil ready for me it's compost 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 like really start your compost first if you start composting at home you're not only reducing your waste you're diverting waste from a landfill and you're putting it back into the ground so you're not just saving food but you're regenerating soil. So I'd say start with your compost pile, save as much food as you can and your grass clippings and leaves and stuff like that, because that's going to save you a lot of time and a lot of money. So build your compost, start with that. Beautiful. Well, and one of the things that I found this year, so I've gardened for 40 plus years here in the desert, and I've never significantly composted. And part of the reason I didn't significantly compost is because in order to get a good compost 
pile going, it takes a lot of green and brown waste. Yeah. Doesn't it? So one of the things that I started doing was actually collecting 10 five-gallon buckets a week of food waste from a restaurant. And that actually kicked in my composting program. So I'm making amazing compost here now. Yes, that is awesome. And a lot of people don't know, but you could go to places like Starbucks and they have like coffee grounds that they throw out every evening. And I'm sure they'd be more than willing to give you a bag if you go and ask. Or your local Jamba Juice, if you go there, I'm not trying to like advertise for anybody, just saying if you go to a local juicing company, you can always ask them for their pulp. And they'll be more than willing to give that to you too because they're just going to throw it out anyway. Right, exactly. Cool. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I would recommend The Power of Now. I know that it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with gardening, but for me, it helped me to kind of reorganize and restructure the way that I look at things and how I approach them. So I'm not so stressed out because farming can be stressful if you're not organized, if you're not set in your mind on exactly what your goals are and have them clear. And the power now really helped me get through some stressful times because it teaches you to focus on what you can do at that very moment. Yeah. What's happening right now? What can you do right now to make your situation better? So for me, the power now is a very powerful and profound book that I read regularly to remind myself because I have to remind myself I get caught up in work so much that I'm not really, I can tell when I'm getting frazzled yeah. and that book always brings it back into focus for me. Excellent. And what was one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Don't be afraid. Just go for it. Like start small. Don't be afraid to fail and always reach out to others. There's a great community of urban farmers in the Phoenix area. If you just look, you can find someone to help you. So collaborate. Don't be afraid to fail and just, you know, start small and just go for it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Nika. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. How can our listeners get a hold of you? So if you're interested in what we do at our urban farm, you can look us up at www.svdpaz.org. That's www.svdpaz.org. And you can always reach me by email at C as in cat, Forte, F-O-R-T-E, at svdpaz.org. Beautiful. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Nika, N-I-K-A. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and pretty much wherever your podcast is fed from. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. 
One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.